Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Australia, and welcome to My Millennial Property. It's the season for wrapping up the year. You've probably had your Spotify wrapped list released. Maybe we were in your top five podcasts that you listened to. John and I today are actually going to do a year in review of the property market. There is a report that we have had access to, um, supported by ANZ and CoreLogic. We're going to discuss the key findings of that and talk about housing affordability And John's on the investing side, I'm on the home buying side. We're each going to talk through what we found good and maybe not so good this year in the property market. How does that sound, John? That sounds awesome to me, Emily. Let's do it. So we've got some interesting data here, John. And before we deep dive into it, I think it's really important to note that 2023 was a bit of a turbulent year, wasn't it? Mm. It wasn't a very straightforward, like I think about 2021 and it was so predictable, literally every month property prices were going up. It was this FOMO, it was a mad race to get a property for pretty much for everybody and it went a bit bananas. But 2023, I personally found was a little bit unpredictable. It was indeed. And I think the interest rate rises were probably the the catalyst for that, weren't they? There's like every month they continuously uh, put the interest rates up a quarter of a percent. So all of a sudden, 12 months later, you've got 12 rate rises uh, or give or take. So it's a very different dynamic. And for those young people listening, which is nearly all of you, uh, it's for the first time in their life. So it's quite scary when this is happening and all of a sudden you're continuously getting this email saying your mortgage repayments are increasing. And uh, and those on the other side of the tracks that are still trying to save for a deposit or uh, renting, they're also no better off because the rents are going up and the cost of living was going up on the other hand, wasn't it? It certainly felt like there weren't really any winners in anything, to be honest. You know, you couldn't, if you couldn't win if you were renting, you couldn't really win if you were buying. It was very, it felt very difficult at times for people to feel good about buying a property or being in the property market. So Mm. it's not all doom and gloom. And I think, unfortunately, the media paints a picture of it being that way. But you and I both being on the ground, you know, we know positive stories. We know that people have been able to buy, that have been able to keep their rental, that sort of thing. But it probably is a bit more difficult than it used to be. Yeah. I suppose the only ones licking the lips were the baby boomers or the retirees that were saying, okay, I've got some cash in the bank here for my juicy retirement. Now, all of a sudden, I'm getting 4% on a term deposit as opposed to 1% that I was maybe 12 months earlier. And essentially, when they have no mortgage and little overheads, they're they're probably the ones that are uh, only smiling. Most definitely. I actually put a TikTok up reacting to a report about there was a interview conducted about uh, the RBA and the cash rates going up and everything. And Philip Lowe, the, the man at the time, he said that he was getting letters of people thanking him for increasing the cash rate. And I was like, who on earth 
would be thanking him. Like I'm in this world of everyone's like, oh my gosh, don't do it again. We're so nervous. We're so scared. Like don't put it up. And then I totally forgot that some people do benefit from it going up. But sometimes you only see what you want to see. Yeah, you you look under your own hood, don't you, a lot of the time. But um, yeah, I suppose to give people comfort in in all of this is that we're we're now sitting – depending on what type of mortgage and and how large the mortgage is and and what occupation you've got and all these things, um, your interest rate's probably hovering around 6% right now and maybe a little bit higher for some. That's quite normal over the journey over the last 20, 30 years or or more. So yes, it's a bitter pill to swallow, but it's quite normal. So we we adjust to the new norm and we, we get on it and we push forward, don't we? Certainly. And one point before we deep dive into this data that I think is really relevant to mention is, and it's front of mind for me because I heard someone talk about this yesterday at a conference I went to, the serviceability from the banks at the time when all the interest rates were really low, they have a buffer in place. Even though you're on a 3% rate, they're actually servicing you at 6 or 7% anyway. So this whole mortgage cliff that everyone's been you know, talking about and the media paints the picture of, people who took out those loans were actually serviced to be able to Uh, repay them at a much higher rate anyway. And that's why I think we're not seeing doom and gloom as the media is painting it out to be. Yeah. And I suppose uh, the difference with this situation where we've had, I think, what is it, 13 rate rises now, is that when we first got our mortgage, it was assessed at, you're right, like 3% above or 2% above or whatever it was at the time. So it's now jumped above that. So if we were to get our mortgage again or go and try to get that same mortgage, we probably wouldn't be getting it. And that's where some people can um, can feel the pain, can't they? Indeed. Now, looking at some of this data that's been supplied to us, um, ANZ and CoreLogic combined report, there's a couple of highlights, if you will, from this report that I find quite interesting. I think the overall consensus of the report, so it's around housing affordability uh, and the general statement of it is that housing affordability has decreased in 2023. And as we touched on, the increase of housing values going up, rent values and also interest rates. So no real winners in like a bargain purchase anywhere by any means in this market. And um, certainly, you know, home buyers out there, even investors out there would know that that's a true fact. It's it's not as affordable as it was. No, absolutely. And and a must shout out to the great Michelle McKinnon at, at CoreLogic because she's an avid listener of the show and she sends us up-to-date information without us ask, asking for it. So very appreciated, Michelle. It's hot off the press generally when we get it. Uh, so yeah, important to, to note that so that she continues to deliver that to us. <laughs> yes, thank you, Michelle. We appreciate it. <laughs> so there's an article or a, I suppose a news release that was released by ANZ, as you mentioned, at the end of November. Uh, that talks about the undersupply of housing and how it impacts affordability. So I just want to read a statement here. The report revealed that in the year to September, this year as in 2023, the time to save a 20% deposit has climbed to 10 years nationally and to 12.6 years in Sydney. So they're focused on Sydney because it's the the epicentre of the world apparently. Mm -hmm. Um, Sydney also requires a record 58.1% of income to service a new loan. Unlike Sydney, some aspects of affordability have improved in Melbourne for buyers in the past five years to September with the time to save a deposit sitting at 9.6 years down from 10.2 years in September 2018. So don't know about you, Emily, but I look at that and say, okay, 10 years is a long time to save for anything. 
um, mm. and, and a big ticket item like a house, a lot can change in 10 years, can't it? But especially with the, the Melbourne change, 9.6 years down from 10.2 years uh, in, in 2018, that's not a big difference, is it? Not at all. And I am curious to understand the back end of the data because is it based on 20% of today's prices? Because like, 10 yeah. years, who knows? It could be double, like for yeah. all we know. And then are you another 10 years? So, and also noting it focuses on a 20%, which as we've touched on in many episodes before, you don't always need 20% and you must check what's available to you with lower deposits, you know, through mm. a trusted broker. But um, certainly it's kind of, it's not overly encouraging that it takes that long to save. No, that's right. And, and, there's some awesome first home incentives at the moment with, uh, and depending on your occupation, like your 5% deposits and 10% no LMIs. And there's, there's a whole heap of, of things that have been introduced to stimulate first home buyer activity, which wasn't around, definitely wasn't around when I first started investing. So there's, yeah, the 20% is, I see it as almost the the old way of doing things, don't mm. you? Yeah, for sure. Honestly, the amount of buyers I work with who um, are well and truly less than a 20% deposit is pretty high um, because people just want to get in. And so parental guarantor, any of the first home buyer schemes, the waivered LMI, like knowledge is power in that space. Make sure you understand what you are eligible for and a good broker would be able to assess that for you for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and the basis of what they're saying in, in terms of the time to save a deposit is as a result of property prices increasing so swiftly over the last couple of years. And and that's probably the 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 point that we want to make here is when there's an undersupply, essentially the supply demand ratio is extremely important in real estate or, or in anything, isn't it? Like uh, mm. uh, I'm heading back to the family farm next week to help with harvest and and we talk about selling wheat and barley and and um, lentils and canola. Uh, the, if we get a good crop, uh, that doesn't autom- automatically mean good prices. It's it's all relative to the supply of that particular grain or legume around the country or around the world. Mm. And the same with real estate is the undersupply that's been extremely evident in the last probably 10 years, to be honest, um, and it, it definitely in the housing sector. And things don't look like they're going to change um, too much. And I, I looked at a report that actually went out to 2070, which is oh, wow. a long way into the future. Uh, and international migration is going to come off slightly in the coming years, um, but not to the extent that, okay, we don't need to build too many more houses now. There's always going to be this lag of of um, properties that aren't getting built to keep up with the supply and also people living longer. I'm always so curious when we're going to hit like peak population because there's always this theory that we kind of like hit a ceiling and then we only like slowly, slowly go down. And it would be great if we didn't have to build, you know, more houses or could just build where, you know, things are already existing because the more we keep creating, you know, greenfield estates and new cities and new suburbs and things like that, um, that's a lot to keep up with from a funding point of view for the government um, but also, you know, it puts people further and further away from central um, places and amenities. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. So, let's go on to the whole 2023 markets in review. Um, let, let's talk maybe specifically about what we're seeing on the ground over the last 12 months um, and, and how that's impacting everyone. What have you seen in Melbourne in that buying space that you're in, which you mentioned, generally owner-occupier? 
Yeah, for sure. So we do help a lot of first home buyers. And I think what I've noticed in comparison to other years is that there is a real focus on being central in location. And so with that does come a higher purchase price, typically speaking, you know, the middle ring of any CBD is, it can be quite expensive. Um, so I have certainly noticed that there's a lot of investors selling out. And so uh, the investor grade stock is getting let go of, first home buyers are snapping it up. But it's really quite a challenge because, to be honest with you, this year I haven't seen amazing properties. Like they're they're good, but they're not amazing. And I think in previous years, particularly in 2021, there were some great properties out and about, like A grade, A plus grade real estate. And it- Sorry, let, let's unpack that for a minute. A grade properties, great properties. What's an example of that and, and why aren't they here now? So in the apartment space, it's really around boutique blocks with a not a main road address, so a side street address, ideally less than 12 in the block. And the best one in the block is typically a north-facing aspect, um, ground floor with a courtyard or top floor with a nice balcony uh, and a proper car space. That's kind of A grade um, with no building issues. That's, that's my biggest problem at the moment is these damn building issues. So, yeah, that what I've just described they're hard to find and then therefore the prices of them, supply and demand, have been going crazy at auctions. Like I'm seeing crazy results for those apartments because there's just not enough of them around. Yeah, okay. So is it fair to say that they've been built uh, 70s, 80s, 90s where building was probably of a higher quality? Most definitely. And that on that point, that's probably the most common request we get from first-home buyers is they don't want a brand new build. They actually want 70s, mm. 80s brick build because they're solid, reliable, minimal um, upkeep. So you mentioned before that uh, a lot of investors are selling Mm. and by the sounds of it, they're selling tripe. They're they're selling their rubbish that didn't work to begin with from an investment point of view and uh, it's hitting them hard with the running costs with the interest rates rising. That puts further problems on those that are the end user, which is the tenant, doesn't it? Because essentially if they're getting replaced by owner-occupiers, first home buyers, et cetera, there's less properties to rent, which is, again, supply-demand going to push the rents up even further, um, which is absolutely crazy. Like we, we had someone who bought in Brisbane um, six months ago, it was, and it was renting for $600 a week. They've just renewed at $750. Oh, my gosh. And like this isn't a, a an over-the-odds type rental. This is just, okay, if the tenant moves out, they're going to be paying seven sixty or seven seventy. Like this is actually a good deal at seven fifty. This is the crisis that we're faced with at the minute. That's crazy, but I must say, there's more and more stories like that out there, and I really do feel. I mean, I'm a tenant myself. I I do feel for for rental providers and uh, and tenants because it's a real almost moral balance. I know I found myself in a bit of a conundrum with raising the rent to meet market value versus, yeah. you know, below. So, yeah, it's, it's a real challenge. And I think with the increase is why there are so many people who are first-home buyers who just have decided we're actually going to get in probably in a less desirable property, but we're going to get in because we don't want to be a tenant anymore. And that's probably the biggest trend of 2023. Yeah. Okay. All right. So investors are selling their tripe. Um, so the the key message there is 
don't buy that rubbish and just buy quality property to begin with. And those that have got quality property are seeing the rewards of that and hence they're holding on to it. Um, do you, are you seeing many owner occupiers selling their property? Like, because a lot of what drives property prices as well are not just the supply demand, but upsizers wanting to say, okay, I, I bought in 10 years ago, I've now got some equity, I'm going to sell out and I'm going to upsize to a, a bigger place. There is that, but I would say what probably takes a higher percentage of the market is people who bought in 2021 that overextended themselves and now are selling potentially at a loss. I've actually bought a few properties off market where the owner, the vendor, has sold at a loss compared to 2021 purchase price, which is, yeah, a majority uh, probably more so investors, but there were some first home buyers who did jump too high at auction um, that have, have sold. So, yeah, I'd say that's actually what I'm seeing more of. But the problem with the upsizes is again supply and demand. There's just there's honestly not enough family homes in Melbourne, good yeah. quality family homes, and so everyone's sitting on their hands. And we've got this domino effect of stock being held, and then we see crazy prices. When one property gets listed, like a three bedroom family home in Thornbury, for example, um, when that gets listed, everybody's on it. Like everybody's flocking to it because there's just so few. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So that's a wrap for Melbourne. Uh, We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, I'm going to give a wrap of other parts of the country from an investment point of view. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
Absolutely. And, and I feel you're reinforcing that because you get a lot of people contact you saying, can we find investments Stop through you? Stop calling me. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm happy to chat to anybody, but I end up redirecting them to you. Yeah. Uh, but I just think it's important for people to know, but also to understand that you buy across Australia. And I think that is so important. Like yep. anyone listening, irrespective of John, just if you're going to engage someone to do an investment, make sure they're buying in diversified markets and not just in one little suburb because um, it'd be silly to be buying in your own backyard as for an investment, how could you possibly know that's the right spot to buy? Uh, so, yeah, I just think it's an important thing to highlight that you do buy in diverse areas and therefore you can get some really good returns and really good purchases for your clients. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose, yeah, we've got people on the ground in WA, Queensland, um, New South Wales, and we we cover a lot of Vic and South Australia stuff. We don't necessarily have people on the ground in every location. I suppose mm. I want to make that clear. Yeah, 90% of our research is done behind a, a, a computer screen with a whole heap of research and data and then forming relationships with key people in those locations that we think are working um, over a three to five year journey. It's not just let's get into one location, then we're out of it six months later. It's mm. building strong relations. So um, yeah, sure, we absolutely go and visit the areas and we're, we're there a lot of the time, but we physically don't sleep there and live there. We don't have someone on the ground in, in every potential market because we're probably operating in 30 markets at a time, really, when we think about buyers coming in at 300k right up to we purchased one in in Perth last week for two and a half mil so oh wow yeah <laughs> I mean I mean it's, photos of that one <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a very nice home so um but any case let's um let's give a wrap and it's a very complicated wrap to give because mm. there's so many markets within markets and and I suppose 90% of what we buy generally houses with with land existing houses um yeah, good good rental. Uh, the yield varies based on the price point, of course, because the higher you go with price, the the lower the yield tends to drop. Um, that's just the nature of the beast because they're good capital growth properties, and the rent just never quite catches up, even though the rents are going up almost every minute. Um, so yeah, as a result of that supply demand we're talking about, there's there's definitely low stock, um, and a little bit of what's happening in Melbourne is a lot of stock that's on the market or we get opportunity to off-market that is, in our words, rubbish. We just, we don't want it. We, we Someone else has had grief with it um, because of either low growth or wrong areas or, yeah, just a whole heap of things that, that don't add up to us. Um, so as a result, there's stuff sticking around pretty, uh, for, for long periods of time and I'm talking 150, 200 250 days. Wow. But then within that market, there are properties that get snapped up really quickly because like you've mentioned, Emily, they're attractive properties that just ooze potential either to, it, because they're in a good location, they're priced well, uh, and they're, they're going to provide our investors with a, a great opportunity long term. So yeah, they're the ones that we want, but also everyone else wants them as well. So mm. the days on market for those are very, uh, very low, very small. But if we look on realestate.com and check a suburb's days on market, you might still see it at 45, 50 days. Why is that when you've got properties that are selling in three days? Well, that, that, that's the 250-day property that's not moving that's making the median a little bit higher. So just when you're doing your research out there, everyone, just uh, don't take the realestate.com.au um, 
days on market as gospel and feel that that's a that's a hot market or a cold market. So yeah, and Perth's a really good example of that. What would you say, John, for people who are doing their own research and getting their heads around investing with days on market? What would you personally describe as the average um, as a hot market, like less than X amount? What would that be? Yeah, look, I think less than thirty days is pretty hot. Yeah, I mean we're we're seeing some locations that we believe are around about 10 to 15 days. And personally, as an investor, we don't like them because we're competing against everyone else that might be buying their own home. Mm. And they've got this FOMO feeling about them. And and there's a a bit of that trickling in in Perth at the moment. Uh, And and also Adelaide. Adelaide flies under the radar. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we just need to maybe stay out of those markets. And we did actually did that with a place in New South Wales called Orange. Um, for those who don't live in New South Wales, you may not have heard of it, but any case, um, it's a large regional centre and we were buying in there for some time. And then all of a sudden, the days on market just uh, reduced and reduced and we said, look, we're out of there because of that feature, but we know we'll go back in there at some stage based on the indicators and what we think something's worth. So, yeah, just um, it's it's a tricky to get your head around, isn't it? If you're not mm. doing it daily, because you you really can be totally confused when you're online searching for property. Do you get many properties where it's an investor grade, like it's already an investment for somebody? They're ready to offload it. The tenants in there, and you can basically just substitute someone in as you know the buyer. Like, do you get many of those where you you already know the rental yield because it's currently rented at a certain amount and uh, it's an off market deal where you basically just buy it, substitute yeah. the new person in, and off you go. Yeah, absolutely. And and the good thing about that is that there's pros and cons of everything, right? But the good thing about that is in in the case of Victoria, for example, where tenancy standards have increased dramatically. Yeah. If it's already tenanted it must be meeting standard. If it's not meeting standard, it's a dicey property manager. So we <laughs> we feel comfort in that, the fact that, okay, our buyer doesn't need to go and spend $10,000 to get it up to scratch to meet tenancy standards. So that's definitely a positive. The downside might be that the current tenant is paying unders for rent, which is a great thing yeah. for the tenant, but that might have been there 10 years and the, the vendor's been lo- loyal, et cetera. So we all get that. Uh, but it might affect the yield potentially of the investor coming in. So, yeah, it's um, not a not a one size fits all there either. But uh, the if we go to some other areas around the country, um, and I touched on the orange, but the regional New South Wales markets are uh, again pretty low stock, and but those that are decent stock are, are moving pretty quick. Those that are rubbish are, are sitting around. I think that'll change in the new year. I think they'll we'll start to see a lot more stock come onto the market. But again, the quality of that is the questionable part. So how that, again, education for someone listening is that you look at the vacancy rates of an area and the vacancy rates might increase slightly in the new year, but that doesn't mean there's an oversupply. It just means that the wrong properties are, I suppose, um, for sale and and not moving. So be careful as an investor there. If we go into Queensland, uh, we, we're seeing Toowoomba pretty red hot at the minute, um, which is understandable because it's quite affordable and it also comes with a good yield as an investor. Um, but that southeast Queensland corridor, it's just unbelievable as to how many people are moving there. And I looked at some data last week around 
the trends and and population id is a good website for this so mm-hmm. jump on people if you want to have a look if you're interested in this stuff because um it's quite intriguing as to where people are moving to and why um so it it talks about the fact that yeah so many people are just moving into Queensland or just migrating north basically i've heard that pop up a lot even just in general conversations with other business owners just people i even clients or past clients about the consideration of moving up north purely for the weather, by the way. Like it's really a lot of the time it's weather related, which so fair, particularly if you're from Melbourne. And yeah, I know it was a massive trend in 2020, 2021, but it seems like the trend's continuing, maybe just a little less in terms of volume, but it's certainly still there. Yeah. And I think a lot of businesses are taking their businesses north as well. Uh, the the rent, the the leases from a commercial point of view are much cheaper in Queensland than they are in, say, Sydney, for example. So uh, they're, they're taking it to that triangle pocket of Toowoomba, Ipswich and Brisbane that somewhere in there, they may be setting up offices or commercial warehouses, industrial, whatever, and running their businesses out of there, which is attracting new people to the area or people that might have been down south that wanted to move up with that business. Um, so there's a bit of that happening as well. Um, there are some regional locations that are pretty hot at the moment that we probably need to be careful of. And, mm-hmm. and why I say that is the the growth is there over the next 12 months, two years, I'm sure. The long-term viability of that, however, um, historically, some of the locations have seen very low or negative growth over a longer period of time. So somewhere like Mackay or Cairns or something like that might, yeah, there's actually some good growth happening, but just understand the long-term dynamics of it. So understand your strategy, I suppose, as an investor. Do you want some short-term gains and get out or do you want something long-term that's going to give you consistent growth over the next 10 years? Do you find when people come to you, John, that they are definitively one thing or the other in terms of capital growth versus more cash flow and yield? Like is there a common theme that you see from investors or is it really case by case? It's one of the first questions I ask clients is what do you want, capital growth or cash flow? And and what do you reckon the answer is? Both. Both, (laughs) yeah. They want a unicorn. (laughs) We all want both, right? But if we, generally speaking, capital growth is what most people want. And it's the, as we keep saying, it's the biggest thing out of our control. So we need to monitor cash flow really carefully. And that's where it we need to dig into the weeds and say, well, okay, what's the running cost of your life? How much are you saving? What other properties have you got? Have you got your own mortgage? Do you want kids in the next five years? You've got to do an autopsy on someone's life to understand what yield they can handle now, but also for the future. So yeah, I would say most people want capital growth for sure, um, but they know that they want to hold this property long-term and maybe even pass on to their kids. So they do want that consistency. That I, I rarely get investors come and say, I just want a speculative win in the next two years and get me out of there and I'll make my money and run sort of thing. Um, so, which is smart. Um, it's it's a, If you've got a portfolio of five or six properties and you want to do that with the next one, absolutely, that's fine. But as your first investment, it's quite a risky strategy, isn't it? Yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's a general sort of overview of that. Um, in Victoria, what we're seeing is lower yields as an investor. Uh, and that's coupled with some land tax changes, um, some higher stamp duty costs, uh, and and just the the fact that there's some been some growth there. So, and I think there's some really good locations like your Ballarats, your Bendigo's, your Geelong's that will actually 
be good long-term performers and I've already been consistent long-term performers, but you're just going in with a lower yield. So that requires some some buffers and some cash flow in your life to dedicate to that portfolio until the yields catch up, which invariably might be three years. So as I say to a lot of investors, you, you're in this investing journey for 20 years mm. and you might look at these numbers right now and say, okay, this property that I buy I know there's some good capital growth coming my way if I can stick it out, but it's going to cost me, I don't know, let's say $500 a month to hold this property. Now, that's six grand a year. That's that's six grand that they may be impacting some of their lifestyle. Over the next three years, if rents increase by, say, $10 a week, um, five hundred dollars a year. They've got fifteen hundred of that back, right? So it's mm. still not. It's gradually year by year. It's getting better, but understanding that and getting your head around it is is probably the key there. Knowing your numbers, and I think that's the fundamentals of an investment, right? You've got to be across your numbers and know them and be very comfortable with them as well. Yeah. So just listen when you're in a maths class. You just the numbers <laughs> are critical, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so I, I know we've got another episode coming talking about 2024. Where do you think interest rates are at? Look, I think everyone would hope that this pause that we've had for December continues into next year, but it wouldn't shock me if we're hit with another one in mm. maybe Feb. They might sit on it. I don't think they don't meet in Jan, do they? They don't meet in Jan, no. No, no. no. I think Feb may be up, but I, honestly, I think by this time next year, it'll be a very different conversation. I think at the very, very least, it will be stable, but potentially even some decrease. And I know that's what everyone's really hanging out for. I just, I can't see how it's feasible for it to continue. We couldn't have a repeat of this year, put it that way. I think a lot of people could be in a lot of strife if that were the case. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And and I think generally speaking, the media was saying blood on the streets, it's there's going to be a massive oversupply of property by by now. Because mm. essentially a, a lot of people that I'm talking to, fixed rates have already come off. Or worst case, it's going to be probably February or March where it does come off next year. Yep. If you're fixed in for longer than that, like hats off to you, well done. Um yeah, totally. but generally majority of the population that were on fixed rates are coming off or have already come off, sorry, and there's probably another 10 20% over the next couple of months. Yeah, I mean, that pool, mine comes off in February. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. Oh, well, <laughs> bunker down, lady. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've planned. This is a thing. Yes. Now yes. that, I mean, I'm sure people have planned for it, like you're sure you can see it coming, right? Because mm. you know your end date of your fixed rate and, yeah, you've put buffers in place and allocation, which I've done, but still, it hurts. Yeah. It does, and it's like preparing for Christmas. Like it's, it's it's not as joyful, but you have to say, well, okay, I'm going to spend a bit of money on presents here, uh, yeah. and I've got to factor it in, don't I? Um, we yeah. know when the date's coming. All right, well, that's um, a wrap of the markets in 2023, and just a general overview of sort of the the law on the land, isn't it? Interest rates and cost of living and all those sort of things. Certainly, yeah. It's been a year. It's been a very different year for many, but I feel like it's going to be more positive in 2024 and we're going to do an episode dedicated to tips and tricks for looking for a property in, in the new year and I guess things around timing and our professional insight on what to look out for. Mm. But hopefully this has given you a good summary of 2023. And I guess on the note of next year, if you do have any recommendations or 
any particular topics you want covered by John and I next year, or maybe you're even a professional who has some insight to share, maybe it's architecture, maybe it's sustainable living, anything property related that's, you know, not just mortgages and houses. (laughs) We're happy to hear from you. Um, Let us know. We want to bring value to your ears and provide episodes that you really enjoy listening to. Totally, we do. Yep. Happy Christmas if this is the last episode you're listening to for the year, but keep your ears out for our episode on 2024. Until next time, take care. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Career, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.